Good evening. I'm so glad you are able to make it. Uh, after this message, we will have pods, as uh, Shante said. And then after that, uh, we will have a very unique movie. It's called Ushpazin, which is Aramaic for the guest. Uh, for many of you, you may know that um, this time, the Feast of Tabernacles, or also known as Sukkot. Sukkot is the, is the plural for Sukkah, which means a, a, a tent or a, or a tabernacle. Uh, kind of an uh, impermanent living condition that the children of Israel uh, um, traveled through the wilderness in, very portable. Uh, this is this uh, sukkah. This, this movie is about this, pe- this period called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a very interesting movie. It's, it's funny. It was very touching as well. But I'd like you to especially look at two aspects of this, this, this movie. One is how this movie shows that in the midst of this uh, Sukkot Sukkot, uh, period, there was a couple that experienced prayer in a very powerful and very uh, intimate way. They experienced in the midst of the tightness of their financial situation, God coming through. And uh, I'm very touched by the way in which it portrays our hopelessness or helplessness perhaps, as well as God's provision. This is one of our great themes of this Feast of Tabernacles, how God in our own mereness or our own um, uh, our helplessness shows that he is completely faithful. And the children of Israel had to know that deep, deep, deep within their hearts that God was very faithful. They had to know it. They had to know it by their experience because they were going to have to take that experience into the promised land where they were going to fight giants. And they had to know so well how God's faithfulness and His provision and His, uh, and his love for them was to support them in that. There's another aspect in which um, that movie shows very clearly how even in the midst of our own uh, poverty or our own lack, we can be hospitable to others. And it shows very clearly how that hospitableness or hospitality is sometimes costly. And yet, if we are faithful to God, we will experience God's faithfulness to us in giving hospitality to us. And in so doing, God enlarges our space, enlarges our hearts, and enlarges our existence. So please do stay for Ushpazin, if you can, after, after your pods. Uh, there are two uh, showings of that movie. One is tonight, as well as um, uh, on Sunday uh, after the service. I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we will read Deuteronomy 8 through today, and then tomorrow and Sunday we will keep looking at uh, bits of Deuteronomy 8, because they tell us the meaning of the wilderness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity and has, have by your Spirit supernaturally drawn us together to be in this place in this time. We didn't even know that with our theme of the Feast of Tabernacles, this is actually that exact time of the year where your people, the Jews, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The coincidence is uncanny and we believe something you, are, you have arranged. So we believe that you have something really important to say to us, something very powerful. And so we invite you to come from tonight onwards to come and lift 
any kind of a barrier or any kind of um, uh, discouragement or any kind of um, distraction that may be hovering over us, we ask you that you lift it by your spirit and speak to us in such a way that we will feel, even tonight, really blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read with you um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is Moses' address to the children of Israel. They had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they had come back to that original place where 40 years ago they had failed to cross over the Jordan and take the promised land. And so as a result of that, the children of Israel were left wandering in the wilderness until that whole generation died off. And so what we have is a new generation and Moses is explaining to this new generation what the meaning of this whole journey that seemed as if it was going round and round in circles, seemed to be so meaningless, was about. Okay? The whole commandment, verse 1, that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way of the, that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Take note testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that, the, that comes from the mouth of the, of the Lord. Notice that the word know is uh, used uh, at least one four times within two verses. Know, the, testing you to know what was in your heart. And he humbled you and, hung, and, and let you hunger so that you, and fed you with manna that you did not know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word. What God was doing was to cause a knowledge of him, of, of him that was so clear, so strong, a knowledge of themselves and knowledge of God that was so clear that when they went into the promised land and faced giants, their knowing would displace every enemy that they would be coming up against. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. No, there's that word again. Then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. See, because he's our father. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Another word for full was be satisfied. So the promised land was, was, was described and it is a promised land that is not only for the children of Israel, but it speaks of the kind of life that God has for us. Each of these uh, physical things bespeak something more profound. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and 
are satisfied or are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wildernesses, wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware the less you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. How many of you want to dare to believe that? And are not embarrassed to believe that that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And uh, this is a great passage, isn't it? It tells you what God has in store for us. It tells us that just like the children of Israel, God has an appointed inheritance for us. It's a promised land for us. And uh, when we become, we become people of God, He's actually preparing us. He's making us. He's remaking us and, uh, and uh, doing a great work upon our lives to prepare us for something, what, he's, uh, what, what ESV says, to do you good in the end. You know, I think that many people don't know what is going on in their lives sometimes, especially when they go through these circumstances in which things, after they become Christians, seem to get worse in their lives instead of being better. I wonder whether you are one of those who just wonder, why am I going through all these difficult things, this bad luck, things seem to be just crunching around me, narrowing my options. I thought when I became a Christian, everything is going to get better. I thought I was going to go to the promised land straight, that things would be much better. But actually, when I look at myself compared with my friends and my colleagues and my classmates, they seem to be doing better than me. Have you ever wondered about that? I seem to be compared with other people, when I compare with other people who are my peers, not doing so well. And, uh, and many people don't understand that, actually, there is something precious in this. They, under, they don't understand why this is happening to them. They wonder whether they have displeased God. And sometimes they think it's because it's a punishment for past sins, or maybe God really has decided that, you know, that they, they're, just, they're gonna just be left on their own, and God wants to test to see whether they will be faithful to Him in the midst of all these things. Maybe some people feel that God has just abandoned them, and left it to their own devices to be as faithful as they can, so that they can go to heaven. Or some people think, when they find that um, their life has got, has, seems to be going through just very difficult times, God seems to be far away, uh, they seem to be having lack or scarcity, they don't seem to be as abundant in their, in their, in their um, uh, pleasure as it was before, they think perhaps this is the God that they have. It's a God that wants them to suffer all the way until they die and live in self-denial or actually life-denying. Well, that's because they don't understand that actually God has a, a sort of a schematic kind of pathway for them. And if we can understand this, we will understand some of what we are going through uh, at this time. 
And I hope that as we look at this just very briefly for tonight, this evening, yeah, you may be able to, un- to have a kind of a key into what you're going through even in this time of COVID-19 or this time in your life. You see, the Bible, the Old Testament, has a sort of an uh, etymology of our life. It begins with Egypt. And uh, what we have is the children of Israel in Egypt, they were slaves. The Egypt is a picture of the world where they were slaves and in bondage. And what, has hap- what happens is that the children of Israel were brought out of bondage by God's mighty hand and they crossed the Red Sea. And, uh, and, and this is a picture of God's life, God's work upon our lives, saving us from slavery. We were in bondage. We were in sin. We were in all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of pris- imprisonment. Imprisonment in our own personality, in our own self. We did not really have freedom to be able to overcome some of these uh, disease-ridden uh, uh, passions that we have. We were in bondage and we were slaves, these things. And when the children of Israel were set free, it was a picture, it's a type of what Christ has done when on the cross he defeated every power of the devil. He defeated Pharaoh and we defeated Egypt, so to speak, to set us free and cause us to be liberated from our old life. Our old life in which we are bondage within, in bondage within as well as without. Circumstantially as well as psych- psychically as well, spiritually as well. What Christ has done is to set us free and make us a new person. We were in bondage and we were, we were, we were riddled with sin. We were in disease. Our, our emotions were, were completely diseased. What Christ did was not just take us out. He actually made us new people. And so when they crossed the Red Sea, it is almost as if they died to Egypt. It's a picture of them dying to their old life. And they went into, in, into the sea. Actually, when they went through the Red Sea, their old life, their life of slavery died. It was buried. And so when they came out of the Red Sea, they became new people who had a destiny. They had a destiny to be people who are conquerors and, uh, and they were people of promise. But in order for God to actually do that, He had to take them through a period in which He would deal with them. He will, so to speak, as a po- uh, uh, while they were in Egypt, they were in Egypt, in bondage. When they went into the wilderness, God had to take Egypt out of them. He had to take Egypt out of them so that they would be no longer losers or enslaved to the elements that they were, 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 were enslaved to, but set free. And the, 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 the Red Sea speaks of the fact that they have a new life. We are now new in Christ. We have a new nature. God has put His nature in us. Christ, by the Holy Spirit, has put, us in, uh, put His nature in us. And that's pictured by the cloud that, that, that came over them uh, at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea speaks of the fact that Pharaoh died, so to speak. Egypt died in them, and they have, it has no more power over their lives. The whole journey through the wilderness is a journey so that they will really know that they know that they know that the devil knows that they know that they know that they know that they were completely set free from Egypt. And what the wilderness is, is, is a process in which they would live no longer by Egypt's slave masters, no longer by the, by the, by the world, but by God. And what God was going to do in, in, the, in the wilderness was to train them, cleanse them, make them new. 
And the wilderness is a period that I'd like to focus on during this weekend because in many ways, if we don't understand the wilderness, we, don't we will not understand that God is actually preparing us and dealing with us and remaking us so that we will be conquerors because He has a destiny for all of us. You see, what, what uh, um, Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, is talking about is about the good land. For the Lord your God is bringing you, verse 7, into a good land, a land of brooks, of waters and fountains and springs, flowing out of valley, valleys and hills. God was preparing them to enter into that dimension of life in which there's springs of living water, springs of God's life, and there's fruitfulness. And there is fruitfulness that is of great variety, of great creativity. A land that was no scarce, scarcity, lacking nothing. And uh, that will be, you will be, we will be satisfied. This is what God is preparing us for. And so if you understand this, then you understand that a lot of what we are going through is a processing, a dealing that God is doing upon us because He has hope for us. In uh, First Peter, it tells us, we have been born again unto a living hope. The moment you became a Christian, that hope and that destiny began to be born in you. Just like Prince Andrew uh, in, the, in the royal family, in Brit the British royal family, when he was born, he was born with that destiny in, in him. Every dealing, every process that he went through uh, growing up, in that he's still going through, is to prepare him for something greater that he is supposed to be. And so, may I suggest to you that actually, while, as we come before the, the, uh, this, this weekend, uh, God is actually going to give us keys to how we can experience God's grace and God's life in the wilderness. The sukkah or the tabernacle is what the children of Israel lived in. These portable, rather flimsy tents in the wilderness. The wilderness was a place, in some ways, a place of desperation. A place in which the true state of our humanity was made clear because they had none of the supports, that uh, the luxuries that they were going to have in the promised land or none of the, the, uh, the, the elements of Egypt that they had. The wilderness was a place in which they would see themselves for who they really were. They would have nothing to depend upon. There would be nothing around, just sand, 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 all over the place. Nothing but sand in which they would be face to face with their own foibles, their own sinfulness, their own weakness, and also their internal condition. And so it is in this place that we, we find ourselves identifying with the children of Israel in the wilderness. Some of you are wondering, why am I going through what I'm going through? Why is it compared with my contemporaries? They seem to be doing well. Why is it God doesn't bless me? Um, why is it that uh, other people have it so easy and not me? You know why? Because God has a destiny for you. And He's going to make you a person who's going to defeat giants because He has a great purpose for your life. Amen? Now, we're going to have a look at this uh, a little bit more in depth, depth before we close. Um, some of you may find that in your own life, you're experiencing uh, the sense that God is seems so far away. Yeah? Or some of us don't seem to have much success. You know, we were more successful before we became Christians. What happened there? Don't worry. This is just the beginning. 
And uh, so for some of us, it seems like our life is diminishing. We seem to be less successful. It seems like when we became Christians, some of us experienced this, that when we became Christians, we saw many miracles, many signs and wonders. And then now, all that seems to have dried up. I don't seem to be seeing anything. I don't seem to have any security even now. And what God is saying here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 8 becomes much more relevant to uh, the kind of our life. I wonder whether you can identify with this. Verse 2. You shall remember, uh, Deuteronomy 28, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. I mean, anybody experiencing humbling? It's almost as if God strips us of all our pretensions and all the things that made us have a name or have a sense of, of, of identity, testing you to know what was in your heart. And this is the work that God does during this period even this period that many of us uh, are going through in this, in this very moment. And sometimes God does this, this. He tests us to know what's in our heart. And some of us find, oh, I didn't realize I was so bad. I didn't realize I had such, such smallness in my, in my heart. I didn't realize I was so insecure. I didn't realize I was so fearful. I didn't realize I had so much pride. I had so much uh, um, um, anxiety. I didn't know that I was such a person that could hate people in that, in that way. I didn't realize that I felt so uh, insecure in front of people. I didn't realize that in front of certain people, I behaved very, very weird, very, very different. I didn't realize that I was, I was bowing down to people so much as such a people pleaser that I, I couldn't even find myself. I didn't realize that I felt that I had no confidence in myself. And he humbled you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. You know, there it is. Let you hunger. Wow. You mean God would let us hunger even? But then it says, and fed you with manna. But that hunger is something that we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, Shante was talking about it when he was introducing this time. There is something about hunger that is very, very powerful that I believe that God is going to address during this weekend. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for more reality? Let you hunger and then fed you with manna. And God does this, this, this in, our, in, in the wilderness where we experience lack, we experience a deficit. We, and, and with that deficit comes a hunger. Um, let you hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of, uh, mouth of God. So what God was, was doing in the, in, the, in the wilderness was to bring the children of Israel through experiences, experiences that were actually going to cause them to see things not with their physical eyes, the way they saw signs and wonders in Egypt, the way in which it was easy to believe God because they could see with their eyes, but to enter into a new dimension which they would need to have when they enter into the promised land because in the promised land they had to have this great secret weapon and that is the ability to see the invisible. They would need to be able to make choices, bold choices, that would require miracles. 
And what God was going to do in the, in the wilderness was to train their eyes to not go by what's physical, but to go by what their spirit, their heart could see by faith. And a lot of what we are going to be talking about in terms of the wilderness experience that we experience is the training of God, not the testing of God to see whether we're going to survive or we're going to still be faithful to God. That's not what God means by testing. But the training of God so that when we come to a point where what our eyes see looks so bad, looks so derelict, that when we turn to God, God begins to speak to us and show us things in a much more uh, clear way, not with our physical eyes, not with our physical ears, not with our logic, but but by His Word. And so He says that you will know that man does not believe by bread alone, but by every word that comes proceeds out of the, of the mouth of God. In fact, what God was going to do is to strip them down till nothing and then build them up so that they be people who are built up by the word and they feed on the word of God, so much so that they are people who can see beyond what was physical. Isn't that amazing? Or else, well, what happened is this, because Egypt was still in them, because Egypt was still the only experience that they had these slaves, they would use Egypt's methods to try to enter in the promised land. Alright? They, the, they would reach out, every time they come to a crisis, they'll reach out to what they knew in Egypt and what God had to do was to dig Egypt out of them. Dig, dig, dig Egypt out of them. Or else every time they felt a crisis, they would uh, reach out for Egypt. That's exactly what happened when Moses was in the mountain for a long time. And he, and he was waiting to get the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel wondered, wondered where Moses was. They felt very insecure. And they said, where is this Moses? We are, we are, we are out here in the wilderness and, and, uh, and we have run out of food and, and, and there's no water to drink and all that. What are we going to do? They immediately reached out to what was most familiar to them and they reached out for the golden calf. In, the, in Egypt, the golden calf was the dominant idol that as far as the Egyptian narrative was concerned, that took, took them into security and provided for them and led them. And so when they built the golden calf, what they said is this, this is the God that took you out of Egypt. Instead of seeing that it was the invisible God, the God Yahweh who had done that. And so what God has to do in us is to take Egypt out of us because if he does not in the wilderness, you will go into the promised land and you will think that every good thing that was from Egypt was from God. You will function only by how you have been able to do things in the flesh when you enter in the promised land. And you may have some success, but it will not be anything of God. It will not last forever. And so this is something that I, I feel that this is, we are going to really enter into and the, and the key to this is hunger. Hunger. How do you deal with hunger? How do you deal with lack? What do you reach out to? And there's going to be a, 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 a distinction we will make between hunger and cravings. Hunger and lust. Because the children of Israel, when they have hunger for reality, when they have hunger for joy or hunger for pleasure or peace, they will know a certain amount of peace and pleasure. They will know a certain amount of joy from Egypt. And what will happen is this, when they get hungry, 
they will hunger for the quails and for the flesh pots of Egypt and all those kind of things and not realize that, that, realize that that hunger that God had given to them is meant to be not just a lack, not just a craving for those things, but a hunger that is powerful that can cause us to experience something far greater. The manna from heaven and the food from heaven. And so I just want to put it to you that what God has for us uh, during this time is, uh, is, is amazing. I'd like us to think in terms of what kind of wilderness are you experiencing? What are some, perhaps one, perhaps you can share in your pod, what is one aspect of wilderness that you are experiencing, perhaps that is, uh, that is uppermost in your mind? You know, wilderness is a period in which where we experience not that abundance, not that wonderful hope that we had, that dream that we had that things would be so abundant and so uh, uh, high profile and so famous. Wilderness is a time in which we deal and God deals with small. and We seem so diminished. But it is in this place where God actually deals with us. I remember my wilderness experience, my first experience of wilderness was when I went in full, into full-time ministry um, in, uh, in Malaysia. I think I was about 22 years old. And, uh, and when we, we first went into ministry, um, I was shocked that the kind of life I would live with my community was very, very poor, very austere. I had no salary. And so I had just finished my degree uh, and... Uh, Instead of uh, getting a job, I went in full-time ministry and uh, the church had it in such a way that if we went into full-time ministry, there was no salary. We just had to live by faith, had to live by faith. And it was in this period, just like living in the wilderness, money and, 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 and supply had to come by a miracle. I remember there was a time in which I was supposed to speak in a, in a, in a, in a conference. And uh, I, as a speaker, had to pay for my own conference fee. And it was cheap, $20, only $20. But I didn't have $20 because I didn't have any money. In, the, in my church, when you live by faith, you don't tell people you're living by faith. Or else, if, you're, you're, if, you're, if you tell people, then people will, will pity you and give you money. But... Uh, we were, we were, had to keep it a secret and we had to keep it for a secret for all the rest of our life. This, all, of, all full-time workers in my church, church planting movement, uh, kept one secret and that is that during that whole time in which that they were uh, uh, in training and they were in their first year of, of active ministry, uh, they would live by faith and they prove our, prove, prove our call. And I remember the, the, there was one time and uh, just, uh, I think, a day or so before the conference was supposed to start, I was supposed to speak, and I couldn't even pay for my own, my own uh, camp fee. And then I was going into the, 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 the university library, and as I was going to the university library, wondering how God was going to supply my needs, kind of excited that I had no resources and it would take a miracle, as I was entering, somebody came out was on the revolving door, and said, Michael, oh, I'm so glad I saw you. I couldn't sleep last night because God kept on bugging me and telling me I have to give you this $20, exactly $20. And okay, now take it. 
because I can't stand it anymore. I, I'm, 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 I'm so irritated by this. And she gave me $20 and I had just one hour to go in and give, give my, my money to the camp organizers. And that's how I survived. I remember another time I was supposed to go visitation and uh, I had no car, but I had to walk. And so uh, I, had no even, I didn't even have the 50 cents for a bus fare. I was just completely empty. And, uh, and my pastor told me, I want you to go and visit uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wong. And uh, you had to take a bus. I didn't tell him that um, I didn't have money because our custom, uh, right or wrong, was to not tell people what your needs are. And so I went out, I started walking, and I realized if I had to walk all the way, it would be at least five or six miles. And, um, and then, on the other side of the, of, the, of the dual carriageway, there was a young woman who I recognized from our church, and she crossed the road and came to me. And she said, Michael, where are you going? I said, I'm going to see Mr. and Mrs. Wong. Um, and she says, okay. And she took her purse and, she, and she, she emptied all her money in that purse onto my hands. I just cupped them like that. And she says, okay, go take a bus. And that was it. And so I learned that God supplies my needs. And it is the wilderness that is a situation in which you have no choices. You seem to be crunched for options. And you learn how to live in the in the flimsiness of your sukkah, so to speak, in the flimsiness of your financial situation or in your particular um, uh, um, uh, state. And that was important because that caused me to never, ever worry about God's supply anymore. Because I experienced it day after day, day after day, day after day. There came a time in which I started giving out of my own need. And I remember one day, God spoke to me, I want you to buy a, a, a synthesizer for the church. I had not, didn't have the money. I put the down payment, and the Lord says, I'm going to supply. And true enough, I paid for that synthesizer with all in, in the right time, cash. And so I had many, many experiences of this. That's why you can't, you can't tell me that God doesn't supply. Now, I just feel I need to t- say this, okay, before, before I, I, I move on. There, there are some of us who says, I never experienced the reality of God in my life ever before. And you're hoping that by reading a lot of Christian apologetics, you're gonna, you, it's going to help you, and I'm sure it will help you. But I tell you this, I feel that God wants you to put Him to the test for every, any, any need that you have. And you say, God, I want to know whether you really are real, that you really love me or that you really exist. Put him to the test and say, God, show me your reality. And I want to say that God wants to challenge people, anybody who says, I want to know whether God exists. I want to know whether you're you're alive or not. I have found that I've spoken to many people who are not Christians who can't believe in the existence of God. I say it's very simple. I don't need to argue with you. I say, why don't you put the challenge before, before God? Show yourself to me in a tangible and a real way. And I want to invite you, actually I want to challenge you to put that before God. If you're really serious about seeing the reality of God, give Him a chance and He will. It is this kind of experience that I had in, uh, in Malaysia 
that helped me when, we, when I got married and came to America. And we were renting a, a house and um, we were not... Uh, um, w- what had happened was that the, the, the owners of the house uh, had uh, raised the rent and we found that we could not even afford the, the rent which had been raised to 1700 I think, a month. We didn't have the money. We had, a ch- we had two children but no money. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to us. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a house. And it was with that experience that helped me to translate to a bigger plane in which now we are needing to buy a house. The house uh, was, at that time, costing about 29000 uh, $129,000, uh, $229, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it got more expensive. <laughs> $229,000, and we had $1,000 in the bank, just about, just about. And true enough, God caused us to actually go into that situation. And this is what the wilderness does. It makes you know. It makes you know. It puts knowing in you. Not some kind of flimsy kind of guess. Not some kind of crazy uh, um, or silly kind of uh, optimism, but a knowing. And you are being trained to know what that knowing feels like how it hits you, and how it lodges in you. Because when knowing happens, you cannot be moved. You cannot be moved. And we made a bid for that, even though we had no money in the bank. To cut a long story short, because I know my time is almost up, um, I found that we, we went through it, and God supplied, just on the nick of time, the down payment for that house just on a few days before the house was, the, the, the down payment was supposed to be given, um, the bank called me and it says, I, we have received the telegraphic transfer. We don't know who it's from. We can't tell you who it's from, but it came from a bank in Luxembourg and 10000 has been put in your bank. A few hours later, another call came right on that same day, in the nick of time. We just, Mr. Cole, we just want to let you know that there's a bank in Singapore that has put $5,000 in your bank. We had exactly enough money for our down payment. It is with this experience that I came to a place where um, our church was being given an offer to buy the building that we, we now meet in. The offer was to buy the building for 2.5 million. Is it? I think it's 2.5. No, uh, 3.5 million. 3.5, 3.5 million, and we only had about 70 to 80 people in our church. And as we met, because we are a church that listens to God, we said we'll pray about it. It'll take a huge miracle for us to do that. And uh, as we went back and gave ourselves about a week or so to pray and see whether God wants us to take this big step, I had cold sweat, actually, to think that I could be leading the church into a terrible terrible uh, a mistake that would cost the church dearly. But I felt the Lord put that knowing again in my heart. And I, and I know what that knowing feels like. 
Do you? Because the wilderness is a way in which God is actually going to form knowing in your heart. But you are going to be finding yourself in situations where you are. You are perhaps on the edge. And I remember that when that knowing dropped in my heart, I could not be persuaded any otherwise. Even though there were lawyers and intimidators and even people from the city that, were, that came against us and, and took us to court even. Today we own the building. Praise God. But you see, it is the wilderness that gives us the, 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 the core of knowing that brings us into the other time. It's hunger that begins the process. And we'll talk about that tomorrow morning. And so God bless you. I uh, hope you enjoy Ushpizin and I hope you enjoy your time in the pods. God bless you. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have us. In spite of whatever is happening to other people, you have us. And so we surrender our lives to you and we ask you that even now you will speak to us because in the night and bring us close to you, Lord, this weekend. We thank you that even with Zoom, you can speak abundantly clear. In Jesus' name, amen.